Voices for Justice is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and murder. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some names have been changed or omitted per their request or for safety purposes. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Sarah Turney, and this is Voices for Justice. Before we get started, I need to insert an extra disclaimer here. This episode will also be discussing the topic of suicide. If you or someone you know struggles with suicidal thoughts, please call the National Suicide Prevention Line at 1-800-273-8255 or visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org for help. Last time on Voices for Justice, we discussed a lot, including a videotape our cousin David found depicting Alyssa and another underage female naked from the waist up. And we learned that my Uncle James recalls hearing about a second tape in which Alyssa was sexually abused by our father and an unknown adult female. We discussed the likelihood that there were more hidden surveillance devices in our home than I was ever aware of. And we dive deep into an incident in which our father drove Alyssa to an isolated desert area and attempted to sexually assault her. And then we examined his very bizarre reactions to this incident and read over many different stories he told about that day. This is part three of episode four, 3000 Days. In this final part of the episode, we are going to focus on the year leading up to Alyssa's disappearance. Alyssa would eventually come home from living with our brothers for the summer. But like our father stated in his letter to her, he made no promises about things changing when she came home. And in fact, his behavior became even more overbearing, obnoxious, and in my opinion, with intention to inflict self-doubt in Alyssa and encourage her dependence on our father. One of the ways he did this was by isolating Alyssa from her friends and family. In the last episode, we met Alyssa's friend Charity. And as Alyssa and Charity's friendship grew, so did our father's disapproval of it. And although Alyssa and Charity both denied having a sexual relationship together, he stopped letting Alyssa and Charity see each other over this concern. Charity admits that they didn't think much of it, as they were sure to see each other at school anyway. But our father didn't tell Alyssa that she wouldn't be returning to Barry Goldwater High School with Charity for her junior year. But instead, he enrolled her at Paradise Valley High School for what would be her last year of school. This is when Alyssa met her new friend and our new witness, Jessica. Here's Jessica talking about what she remembers about this time and how she saw red flags from the moment she set foot so, in her home. Alyssa and I had a ceramics class together and we always wore the same shirts. Like it just worked out that I would walk in the class every day. And at first I was like, this fucking bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like every fucking day we're wearing the same damn shirt. Yeah. And I really don't even know how it started, but she was just so nice and when we started talking it just there was no me being mean to her and I was mean to everybody (laughs) (laughs) I just couldn't be mean to her yeah she just like I don't know just became my friend so quickly I was like you should come hang out because my my best friend's house was party house so we could do whatever we wanted yeah and she's like well my dad will want to meet everybody and he doesn't like me to go anywhere with out him she's like but you can come to my house and so I go out to the truck with them and he's like well I want to meet your parents and I'm like well my parents will be home until like five and he's like okay well as long as they don't mind you coming you can come hang out with us and then I'll take you home and we'll talk to them and so we get to your house and I can see the little red light in the vent in the living room and I was like is that fucking real is that a camera? She's like, yeah, he records everything. I'm like, that's fucking creepy. So immediately. So you saw the signs like day one coming to our house. Immediate. Yeah. Yeah. And then as we got closer, we talked more. She would just tell me all the strange things that he did. I really, really, really want to say that he had a camera in her, the vent in her room. Like so unsettling because We were laying in her bed, playing with her ferrets, and I was like, is there, is he, is he, is there a camera in there? And she's like, probably, it's all the time, because we were talking about doing ecstasy, 
Sure. And we were trying to make a plan to do it. But we're like sitting in the corner, you know, <laughs> whispering, whispering yeah. about it and like just trying to read each other's lips as we're making a plan for this because oh. of that. And she she wasn't sure if it was in there because I felt like there was something in there, but you couldn't quite tell. And well, you, sometimes you can see like a little blinking light or something. Mm. Like in the living room, there was a blinking light. And yeah. that's why I was like... You just walk in and you can, it's visible. Yeah. And there were cameras outside. I do remember that. Which isn't that weird. No, As, no, no. I feel like maybe there was uncertainty if there was just, like, something recording us under the bed. Like, our voices mm-hmm. or somewhere in the bedroom versus in the vent. But she was aware that there was some kind of surveillance in her bedroom. Which is really, really disgusting. I think that's when the stories of him making her truly uncomfortable started to come out because I was like, that's fucking sick. Yeah. Your your stepdad has an unhealthy obsession with you. You said that. Yeah. Good for you. Well, I'm sure I didn't say it like that. I'm sure I was like, that's creepy. It's gross. Yeah. Does he want to fuck you? And she was like, Yeah. Well, yeah, so you guys start getting close, at, and you have mentioned, you know, at one point you felt like my dad was trying to separate you guys. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure it had something to do with my... Are you recording us? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it was very apparent that um, that I had a lot more freedom than she did, so he saw me as a bad influence. Which I definitely would have been a bad influence because I spent all my time at a party house. It was, there was always alcohol and there was always weed and probably any other drug you could find we could have, yeah. you could dream of, we could have found. Yeah. But it sounds like, I mean, the way you describe growing up is like exactly how I grew up. Like always at a party house, like whatever. Like I would have been a bad influence on my sister in his eyes too. Yeah, yeah. But so, what did he do to like actively keep you apart? Or do you remember? Just any time she wanted to hang out, he was like, "No, no, no, no." He wouldn't let me come over anymore. And hmm. yeah, I mean, I remember him saying that you were a bad influence because he thought you were gay and turning Alyssa gay, which is what he said with charity too. <laughs> Like, his biggest fear was, like, Alyssa becoming a lesbian, and she would have done it just to spite him. She would have (laughs) let him believe that just to spite him. In addition to our father isolating Alyssa from Charity and Jessica, he began isolating Alyssa from her childhood friends, too. Growing up, Alyssa had a lot of friends, but Katie was a constant in our lives. She was there through it all. They babysat together, wore similar clothes, and even got professional pictures taken together. So allow me to introduce you to our next witness, Katie. I do not ever remember her saying anything good about your dad, ever. So he was incredibly controlling. And when I was that age, I chalked it up to like, you know, again, him losing his wife and really trying to grasp. And I know that Alyssa was not always the easiest kid to deal with. So him trying to like really grasp and hold her on, uh, hold on to her for as long as he could. And so there's a there's a part of that that you can kind of empathize with. Um, but then again, I didn't know I didn't know about all of the surveillance that was happening in the house. And I think I did know there was a, a camera outside, um, outside the front door. But that I mean. That wasn't weird. Camera in the vents was weird. I don't remember, again, it was so long ago, so like specific accounts of, of physical violence, but I know that he, I know that he had grabbed her and shaken her and hit her and, you know, I, I know that those things happen. Um, and, yeah, I, I guess, I always thought of him as a very angry person, um, which is one of the reasons that I seem like going over there a lot. 
Yeah. So, I mean, did you see an escalation of behavior, an escalation of him being controlling as she got older? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. That's that's one of the things I'm trying to investigate is I, I have this timeline and I feel like his actions do escalate. He gets more crazy and more paranoid about her telling people things and it's just this whole buildup. Um, I think it had a lot to do with, with the fact that she was getting to a point where she was starting to get interested in guys because that was one of the biggest problems that he had was was boys. And I think for whatever reason, that was the biggest issue. Um, I kind of think like, yeah, he was very against her smoking pot or drinking or whatever, but I kind of think that it all kind of tied back to the fact that she couldn't be impaired and, and have sex with a guy, you know, like it, it all kind of seemed to all come back to that. He just got, very, very, very controlling. And besides the fact that she smoked pot, like, there was nothing that she did that was weird for a teenager to do. In addition to isolating Alyssa from friends and family, our father was constantly putting her down. And this was specific to Alyssa. Our father always talked about my future and how I could do anything I put my mind to. I was built up from a very young age to believe I was smart and capable. And I'd bet anything, if you asked any of our brothers, they would tell you the same thing about their childhood. But I can't recall a single similar conversation between Alyssa and our father. He was constantly telling her that she had a learning disability, despite Alyssa actually getting rather average grades. And he shared this belief with her schools in a very forceful way. The police records include dozens of communications, calls, emails, letters, and even lawsuits over Alyssa getting special treatment for the disability our father insisted she had. He is also quoted as telling Alyssa's school that she was dumber than a rock and that she had a mild form of retardation. But what is not in the records is any documentation to prove that Alyssa was even tested for a learning disability which is why I imagine her schools were so hesitant to accommodate what our father described as a severe disability. But our father's fight with the school district would get so bad that they actually granted his request to put Alyssa in special education classes. But being put in this program required Alyssa to switch from her normal school bus to the special needs school bus to be driven to and from school every day. So she began ditching and refusing to take the bus, and our father only later used this as an example of how out of control she was. But it wasn't just that our father was advocating for special attention in school. He went to extreme measures to make Alyssa feel as though she could not operate in society without special accommodations. And according to our father, when Alyssa would bring up complaints about being watched too much or feeling smothered, he told her, quote, Honey, it's for your own safety until you learn that you are easily manipulated. And Katie remembers this. She was not stupid, which is something that your dad seems to like to try to make it seem like. I mean, her having ADHD is not, it's not a, it's not a debilitating disorder to the point that you cannot like live on your own or, you know what I mean? And that's kind of what he seemed to make it out. Like she was, he would always talk about it like she she was so slow she you know would call her names about her about her intelligence level and I don't know I just that was not her she was actually very smart and although you don't have the most street smarts when you're a teenager she could tell when things were not right yeah no I agree that she she wasn't an idiot at all but but my dad did say those things in fact I just read um interview with the police, you know, which, of course, you know, hung out in the neighborhood. Um, And he said that my dad said, um, like, an exact quote was, what are you fucking retarded? You can't read a newspaper. Yeah, that's not surprising. I I was trying not to say that word to be politically correct, but that I've heard her, I've definitely heard him call her that before. So I, I tried to, I tried to not be there as much as possible. Um, I tried to not be around your dad as much as possible, because I just, I'm, I'm an empath, 
So I pick up on a lot, and I didn't, when you're that young, you know, you don't know what that is, and you don't know coping skills for that. Um, so I would just, like, pull in all of this crazy, <laughs> these crazy feelings, and then just feel exhausted when I left. Um, so anytime we hung out, I would try to get us to hang out somewhere else. Yeah. A, a lot of Alyssa's friends felt that way, especially as they got older. My friends didn't. Like, all my friends' interviews are like, your dad was a dad to me, your dad was an uncle to me, like, he was so good to me. And then all of Alyssa's friends are like, I was scared to go over there, I didn't want to, yeah. it was weird. That's so interesting. So when I started hearing that Alyssa wasn't being treated well or, you know, that people were afraid to come to our house, I was like, what? Like, I, it didn't yeah. register for me. Because you had a completely different experience. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can see that very clearly now. Um, but back then, I, I wasn't so sure. I was just like, oh, Alyssa oh, just course. wants to be crazy and be away from the house. And that wasn't it at all. Yeah. It's important to point out that I was not treated like Alyssa was. As we've gone over in some of our father's writings, my father seemed to see me in a completely different light than he did Alyssa. I was not monitored or watched over. I never signed a single contract, and although I wasn't getting into much trouble yet, I got away with everything and essentially did whatever I wanted. Throughout my childhood, our father would constantly threaten to run away from his kids or threaten to give us away to relatives. He would say we didn't love him and that he was going to go live in a cave someday. And while Alyssa shrugged it off and I imagine probably even hoped that he would, I had a very different reaction. I took this as a serious threat. I was certain that I would come home from school one day and he just wouldn't be there. It was to the point where if I forgot to give him a hug and a kiss on the cheek before I left the house, my stomach would turn to knots and all I could think about was that that was surely going to be the last time I saw him, the one time I forgot to say goodbye. And since our father didn't work due to being on disability, he was home all day. So I wanted to spend as much time with him as I could before the inevitability of him running away. And starting in about fourth grade, I started staying home from school to spend time with him. Quickly, I began routinely missing an average of three days of school a week. At first, I would make myself stay up all night, crying to my father at dawn about how I hadn't been able to sleep and how I would never make it through the school day. I would feign illnesses and bouts of sadness left and right. At one point, I even drew chicken pox on myself begging for a week off of school. And another time... I lied about when I had spring break and extended my time off of school from one week to two weeks. But somewhere along the way, he just gave up. He began coming into my room each morning asking if I even wanted to go to school that day. And of course, as a child who's able to dictate their own school schedule, I opted out most of the time. In addition to going to school when I wanted, I also didn't have the same rules for which friends I was allowed to hang out with. While my father was gravely concerned about Alyssa being with Charity's family, convinced they were smoking pot, I was free to go wherever I pleased, whenever I pleased. In fact, one of my best friend's parents were physically abusive and had a heavy meth addiction that our father was well aware of. I would come home with stories about her mother locking her stepfather out of their home, how he rammed his truck into the garage out of anger, or how he bashed in the door again. And our father was not phased. Not once was I told I could not be at that home or with that friend. But as a child, I didn't see this as a freedom. I saw this as our father genuinely not caring for me, and it made me cling to him even more and would eventually cause me to act out a lot. I didn't understand why he cared so much about Alyssa's actions and so little about mine. And of course, this caused a lot of problems between me and Alyssa. She was jealous of the freedoms I had, and I was jealous of what I thought were loving actions taken by our father to protect her. But now, I'm certain he didn't love either one of us. I was a burden better left alone, and Alyssa was in his words a, quote, walking time bomb. Our father kept me quiet and happy with freedom, and he kept Alyssa quiet and oppressed with extreme control. He always said that he treated his children according to their needs. But it's clear that what he really did was manipulate us based on our personalities. And although this was a large point of contention between me and Alyssa, as we were getting older, this contention actually began to fade. We were fighting less and finding more and more in common with each other. For me, 
A fortunate upside to the tight grip our father was holding on Alyssa was that at this time, she was home a lot more than she had been in the past. And at this point, I was almost 12 years old and a little more interested in what Alyssa was into, and we actually hung out more than ever before. Instead of fighting over what to watch on TV, we got cable for the first time in our lives and we would spend hours together binging MTV, making up for the decade that we never had it. We talked about what bikinis we would wear at MTV's spring break when we went to college, how cute Johnny Knoxville was, and she made fun of me for still loving Britney Spears. She braided my hair and painted my nails as we watched for hours on end. She even started letting me take the bus with her and her friends to the mall. It was maybe only a few months, but those months hold some of my most treasured memories of me and Alyssa. We were no longer at war with each other over attention or extreme differences in activities. I finally felt like I was old enough to be let in on a little bit of her world, and I loved every moment of it. I didn't realize how much Alyssa really cared for me, or all that she was doing for me while she was going through all of this. But her friends did, and despite everything, Alyssa still found happiness in her life. Here's how Charity remembers it. The thing with Alyssa is I just don't think I've ever really met someone like her. You know, I really don't. I... She really has stuck with me all this time. Um, She was just so kind and so loving. And, you know, one of the most beautiful but tragic things about her was that she was kind of broken inside, you know, just totally um, lost in terms of, you know, home life and in terms of just trying to find herself in the world just like any other teenager um and she still maintained this you know optimistic attitude about life you know and it's just it's amazing to me looking back on it how she held everything together yeah it really it really just um amazes me me too. Well, and I didn't realize how much she was really doing back then. Because when you're a kid, I don't see her cleaning the countertops or, you know, making sure that I have clean clothes. Right. And she might say, like, a mean remark about my hair or what I was wearing. But she was probably just trying to make sure I, I didn't look like an idiot going out of the house. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realize all that. And that's, like, one of the things I feel most guilty about. Like, it's how she protected me and how she cared for me and how I was totally oblivious and ungrateful and, and oh. a jerk of a sister, which, which again, it's kid stuff, but it just, it makes me feel bad because I didn't realize, and I wish I could have said thank you, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't think, you know, that she needed that from you. I don't think she needed for you to acknowledge, you know, that she was doing those things for you. And I think that just, you know, knowing that you had what you needed would be enough for her. Oh, you know, like I a just, mom. Yeah, exactly like a mom. Oh, that's what's hard. Exactly like a mom. So, yeah, I mean, I get that you guys had your typical um, sibling relationship, just like any siblings would. But, yeah, there definitely was a mothering aspect there. And I witnessed it all the time. You know, in one breath, she would be like, Sarah is so stupid because, you know, she won't clean or whatever. <laughs> And in the next breath, she would be talking about, you know, ways that she wanted to make sure that you were taken care of and, you know, just being completely motherly of you, worried for you, um, concerned for you. And even at times would, you know, tell funny stories that, you know, show that she just really, truly did love you. She loved all of her siblings. Yeah. She talked about you guys all. A lot. Um, And it was always, you know, with a smile brewing from ear to ear and with just so much pride. And although Jessica and Charity have never met or discussed Alyssa, Jessica remembers it the same way. But there's so many people that knew her for a short amount of time that have these vivid memories of her and have like have um she's left this lasting impression on them. Yeah, because especially now thinking about it, she just had this like happiness about her that radiated from her and I was so jealous of her and I didn't realize that at the time yeah because her life was dysfunctional too and she openly talked about it and she kind of talked about it like it was nothing like it was just the way that it was 
you know, him recording the phone conversations and obviously not the the little bits of abuse. She right. was definitely hurt by those things, but you know, him recording her phone or like showing up at Jack in the Box and recording her was just like normal. It was just the way her she was parented, so yeah, it wasn't a big deal to her. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by Quince. The weather is getting warmer, which means it's time to put away all the sweaters and pants and say hello to shorts and t-shirts. I absolutely was looking to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and I went right back to Quince for that. I personally don't love trendy clothes that I have to replace every few months. I am looking to build my solid core collection of essentials, and with the huge selection at Quince, I can do that. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from 30 bucks, washable silk tops, they have jewelry, and so much more. One thing I really love about Quince too is that they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. And they only use premium fabrics and finishes, so you're not cutting any corners when it comes to quality. I've really been trying to play with pairing casual with more upscale pieces. So recently I just matched a silk skirt with this black tee that I just love and fits really, really well. I think it came together pretty cute. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com justice for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot justice to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com justice. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by June's Journey. I'm pretty sure everyone here loves a good mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. You get to step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. So what does that mean? Well, June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game. Essentially, you find hidden clues and uncover this mystery. But it's also more than that. You can customize your own luxurious estate island, you can join a detective club, and put your skills to the test in a detective league. I like that you can play totally alone, or if you want to play with other people, you can do that too. I find myself playing June's Journey in little breaks during the day, or most frequently at night before I go to bed. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just looking for an escape, I really do recommend June's Journey. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. We have discussed how a lot of people viewed Alyssa. But I want to take a moment and highlight something I found in the police reports. There are so few items that we have that are authored by Alyssa, but they found an essay written by her and about her. It reads, I have many streaks of shades of color of hair, from blonde to dark brown. My eyes are brown. I am about 5 foot 4 and weigh about 115 pounds. I like to go to the mall at Metro Center. In the mall, my favorite store is Hot Topic. I love to hang out with my best friends, Katie and Stacy. I like boys. My favorite movies are Wizard of Oz, Half-Baked, Biodome, Empire Records, and Toy Story. I listen to heavy metal bands like Deftones, Korn, Marilyn Manson, Limp Bizkit, Tool, Pantera, Metallica, Nine Inch Nails, and Green Day. I sit in my room and listen to music or talk on the phone all day long. School is okay. I like to swim. My life is school, the phone, and babysitting. I love kids. I want to have a lot of them. I like to shop till I drop or make my dad drop. I like to go paintballing. I like my pants. I like candles. I have a lot of friends. I have very few enemies. But then, something happened that would affect Alyssa in more ways than I will ever know and understandably made her withdraw from almost everyone. There are many people who loved Alyssa that are absent from this podcast for a variety of reasons. But one person that was crucial to Alyssa's life, that I fully believe would be standing by my side right now in this fight, is unfortunately not here. But Alyssa mentioned her in that essay. That person is Stacy. Stacy, Katie, and Alyssa all grew up together, 
and they were always extremely close. Stacy is actually in those professional pictures with Katie and Alyssa I spoke about earlier, and she is in hours of our home videos from the time she met Alyssa in elementary school until the end. On September 21st, 2000, at the age of 16, Stacy committed suicide. Stacy's story is obviously a sad one, but it's not mine to tell, and out of respect for her and her family, I'm not even going to try. Stacy was so funny, beautiful, and caring, and she left a huge hole in Alyssa's life, and it obviously greatly affected her. But Alyssa didn't act out. She didn't rebel or go on some type of attention-seeking bender. It was actually the opposite. I think Stacy's death rattled her greatly, and it made Alyssa want to make an effort to get out of a situation that was undoubtedly causing her a great deal of anguish. So the next month, in October of 2000, Alyssa got a job at Jack in the Box next to her high school, worked as much as she could, and started saving her money. She made $6.30 an hour, but worked upwards of 30 hours a week after school and on weekends. And like most teenage girls, Alyssa and her friends always talked about moving into an apartment together, how they would decorate it, what part of town it would be in, and what their lives would be like. So at this point, I think Alyssa was really trying to focus on the future and the day she would be able to finally move out of our father's home. As our father would state several times, Alyssa did discuss running away from home, but according to Charity, it wasn't in the way you might expect, but more of a plan for the future. Did she ever talk about running away? All the time. Yeah? But she'd never, like, she would talk about wanting to. Um, She would fantasize about it, really. But she would never talk about it, like, seriously, like, I'm going to do this, you know. It was always, no, I got to stick this out till I'm 18. You know, I got to stick this out till I'm 18, which was coming quick. Yeah, it was. But not quick enough. Kids talk about it, you know, in general, but she talked about it a lot. Like, not like I'm going to run away, but she would talk about different scenarios where she could see herself getting getting out of your dad's house. Um, you know, she talked a little bit about moving with your aunt in California as being an option. She talked a lot about potentially moving in with one of the brothers as an option, um, and we, you know, we would lightly talk about her moving in with us and then it would transform into, okay, well, you know, when you're 18, we'll get a place. And that's everybody's dream. When we're 18, we're going to yeah, get an apartment. Get, yeah. Right. That's everybody's so excited for mm-hmm. their first crappy apartment. Yes. <laughs> Which fair enough. I mean, that's part of being 17. It is part of growing up. It's, you know, but the, the shitty thing about it is that she didn't really get to sit and, and fantasize about it in a fun way. She had to fantasize about it as an escape. And, and that's really what talking about, you know, running away or, or moving in with anybody else other than your dad was all about all the time was just getting, getting away. And Alyssa was focusing on the future in other ways. It was about this time that Alyssa started dating a boy from her class named John. And although Alyssa had a boyfriend in the past, this time was different. John was around our house a lot. He went on a family outing with us and he even tolerated me and our father. And after reading the transcripts of phone calls and John's police interview, I think it's safe to say that they were very much in love and each other's first loves. And Alyssa's friend Jessica agrees. Like she loved John and that was, I just, but you know, I feel like her and John were happy and they talked about having a future together. But our father was not happy about this new relationship And in a phone call to our brother, our father verbally expresses his concerns. The police report about this call reads, This is a copy of a conversation between Mike Turney and his son, Michael Seth Turney. Conversational context heard on the tape indicates that it is from circa November 2000. The conversation starts with Michael Roy Turney complaining about one of Sarah's teachers. He calls her a, quote, fucked up bitch and says, quote, they should shoot half them sons of bitches. They discuss this issue for some length. Michael Roy then complains about Alyssa and her desire to eat Thanksgiving at her boyfriend's house. Michael Roy goes over some medical problems he's having. Then he complains about assisting Alyssa after her boyfriend's car is towed. Michael Roy and Michael Seth then have an extended discussion on a range of topics. The conversation then ends on the following. This is a transcript of the conversation as I heard it. Our father begins by saying... I have a feeling if things keep going like they are with Alyssa, it ain't going to be too long before she's going to be quitting school anyway. Because it's the kind of... She's the kind of woman... She... 
She's born a natural housewife, and that's it. Now she gets, she wants to settle down. Plus, Alyssa just hates my guts. I just asked her the other day, asked her why she hates my guts, and she can't even tell me. She just keeps saying the same thing. You know, well, you know, you're just different. You're crazy. You know, you just don't think like John and I do. It's always the same thing. You don't think like John and I do. Do you think maybe he's implanted some shit in her mind? I think it's just the fact that she's, you know, Alyssa wants to do her own thing, Mike. She wants to do her own thing. And her own thing is to smoke pot and do all the crazy ass shit that Rhett and Barbara did when they were younger. That's just the way she is. It's the way people are like that. Whereas Sarah thinks of more lofty things, Alyssa's only got one thing. At the age of 14, Alyssa was ready to make babies and be a housewife. After this comment, our father starts going on about how a lot of the women on my mother's side of the family didn't graduate from high school. And he says some pretty disparaging things about our Aunt Lynette. But what's important to note here is that our father says that Alyssa hates Lynette. That'll be important to remember for the future. But let's get back on track. My father continues by saying, So it just gets harder and harder, Mike, to do some things for someone, anyone, no matter who it is, who treats me like shit, or who lies to me, screws me over. I'm just getting old, getting cranky, losing my temperament. But that's just me. You know, when you've seen, when you've been down this road, like I told James, he doesn't think Steve, Steve has another boyfriend, but I think he does. That's why about 99% of the time, why people do this kind of stuff he did. They become, what do you call it, disenfranchised with someone or infatuated with someone else. It sounds perfectly normal to me. People lose interest and go their own way. Anyway, I gotta get going. I gotta run all the way down there and get all those records. All right? Love you. Love you too. Although I don't normally do this, I have to point out that segue our father makes in this conversation. He begins by expressing concern over the influence Alyssa's new boyfriend is having over her and her apparent long-standing desire to be a wife and mother. And then our father begins talking about how Alyssa, quote, treats him like shit. And then he actually compares this situation with his daughter to our brother being possibly cheated on by his romantic partner. I will let you decide what that means. But I think it gives us great insight into how he really saw his relationship with Alyssa. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In addition to our father disapproving of Alyssa getting close to her new boyfriend, John, he started becoming concerned that she was leaving work to see other boys. And like he had conducted surveillance on Alyssa while she stayed with our brothers for the summer, it appears that he began doing the same thing while Alyssa was working at Jack in the Box. And our father spoke about this when he was interviewed by ABC 2020 in 2009. You would have to watch over Alyssa to make sure that she didn't put herself in harm's way. And again, she was talking about running away, so monitor phone calls. Did you go to her place of work? Oh, I certainly did. I would go there and check to make sure. Once I had suspected she was not being there when she said she was going to be there, I went and checked. What would you do when you went there? Just to look at her, to watch the, what she's working at and make sure everything's okay. These weren't typical problems. Uh, no, there was far more problems with Alyssa, but... I you, you weren't overreacting. Concerned. Always concerned. And I actually found one of these tapes in our piles of home videos. Right before the video of our last Christmas together is about three minutes of footage of our father recording Alyssa at Jack in the Box. It is dated December 19th, 2000. It's nighttime, and our father is filming the outside of the building, but then focuses on Alyssa through the windows. She doesn't notice at first, but when she does, she hides from him and then motions for him to stop. But he doesn't. He continues to film as she is talking to co-workers and wiping down tables, and then she exits the building and says this. You got me in trouble, Dad. How'd I do that? Because that freaking asshole, Mike, he come, he looks and he goes, that's illegal. You can't, He can't do that. And I was like, that's my dad. Still, there's signs posted all in the office. I was like, like my dad's going to do anything. I was like, it's my first job. My dad's video cameraing me. He's like, so that's illegal. Tell him not to do that. I was like, he's a prick. Hate that which, guy. which one's Mike? The one I was talking to you? No, the one. I don't know. The one that drives that nice ass Mustang. 
Let me drive. Which one's Mike? It's kind of a confusing video. I posted it online a few months ago, and people said it was creepy, an invasion of privacy, and parents commented in droves that the way he filmed Alyssa was not the way a loving parent does so at a child's first job. And to be fair, our father had already filmed her first day. I was there. We stood in front of the counter while Alyssa smiled and flashed her name badge and then quickly became embarrassed of our existence and told us to leave. But my point is that he already filmed the first day, so this video is definitely a part of what he described to ABC 2020 as watching or just looking at her while she worked. But the way she addresses him at the end makes me wonder just how normal this type of behavior seemed to Alyssa. I mean, like I said, I thought it was normal too. And when we heard from Jessica earlier, Alyssa is not alarmed about the surveillance in her room, but aware and adjusts her behavior accordingly. Did Alyssa adapt to our father's behavior, or is this video just not that weird? I encourage you all to find it online, watch it, and tell me what you think. I can't be sure of the date of this next incident, but from what I can gather, this is about when our father once again took Alyssa to an isolated desert area and tried to sexually assault her. But this time, she got aggressive, so he left her there for her to walk home. Here's what Jessica remembers. I know there was, she said something about him taking her out in the desert. There was some inappropriate contact. I don't remember exactly, but I just know that she didn't feel safe in the truck with him. And she got out and walked home and he just let her because he tried to touch her. And she was like, get away from me and left. And it appears that Alyssa told her boyfriend, too, because in his interview with the police, he tells a very similar story. Dad picked her up early from school one day, driving around. Um, I think the story was pulled over somewhere in, you know, an unoccupied area, some, like, desert area, and started pulling around with her, and she got aggressive. This incident leads me to point to this next transcript of a phone call our father had with his brother-in-law, Lyle. One word is stricken from the document. I will read it as blank, but based on the context, other conversations, and physical space for the word in the report, I'm pretty sure the omitted word is raped. The report reads, Incoming call from Lyle Garman answered by Michael Roy Turney. Lyle asks, How did your conversation go last night? Michael Roy Turney begins to talk about Alyssa, saying, quote, Her emotions are instantaneous, and once it's over, she forgets. She forgets her fears. She forgets her lessons learned. Michael Roy Turney describes Alyssa as a, quote, walking time bomb, Lyle. This person could be blank and beat up because it was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and two or three months later, forget that and be in the same fucking place again. Do you understand that? By this time, our father dominated almost every aspect of Alyssa's life. Our father discouraged her from having a relationship with our mother's family, our brother John, her friends, and her boyfriend. And she couldn't even escape at work. But Alyssa knew the situation was wrong, and would begin speaking out even more to others about how crazy strict our father was. And Charity and I spoke about this. They fought, yeah, and I've always said that, which is pretty normal, you know? Parents fight with their teenagers. It's pretty normal. Yeah. All the things that you are seeing were basically normal things, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, I didn't know enough about what emotional abuse looked like. Right. Because it was what I grew up with. You know, the surveillance, the the rules, like all that. Like, I'd seen it, and he didn't do it to me, so I didn't think he was abusive. I thought he was appropriate to the situation. Right. Which now I know is not appropriate. You do not shame your teenagers into trying to act better like that it's just it's just not and it's not effective first of all exactly yeah and it's not good for them like you're not teaching them a lesson you're just being a jerk no the only thing you're doing there is is beating down their self-esteem so you know that was i believe his intention yeah and what's amazing is that Alyssa went from the age of nine we believe when she told her teacher that she was being she was having sex with her dad so this is gosh i mean eight years of her being abused like this. But she still never lost her spunk. She never became this withdrawn, sad girl that mm. people were worried about. No, she, she was a fighter. Yeah. She was like a fighter. 
I think that she was, she was gaining her confidence. She was gaining her will to fight back. She was gaining her voice and he could see that coming. We now find ourselves at the year 2001, and we are going to dive into the timeline of the last five months before Alyssa disappeared. I'm not saying everything on this timeline is related to Alyssa's disappearance, but all of these things caught my attention and could be potential pieces to this puzzle. In January of 2001, our Aunt Lynette receives a phone call from our father. She said he is very upset, fed up with Alyssa, and asks Lynette to take her. The police were not able to recover this phone call, but according to our Aunt Lynette, she said she was happy to take Alyssa. But about a week later, our father called her back, stating Alyssa didn't want to go with her. On February 5th, 2001, our father purchases 50 pounds of lime and 60 pounds of concrete from Home Depot. On February 7th, 2001, our father attends an in-person meeting with Alyssa's school to discuss her performance. Our father states that Alyssa was not brought to this meeting because when she had previously attended a similar meeting, she, quote, got so upset that she talked about running away for quite some time. He also states that Alyssa brought drugs into the home and wants to leave home. He says that Alyssa is talking about marriage with the young man she's with, and he mentions Alyssa has no career skills and that she's just going to get pregnant. On February 27, 2001, our father writes a letter to Alyssa's school stating, quote, Thank you for your patience with my zealous approach to protect my daughter and her rights. On March 5, 2001, our father has two phone conversations regarding Alyssa. To one brother, our father states, quote, Alyssa and I are attempting this bonding. Maybe she will listen. As long as some people don't bend her ear. Our father is referencing Alyssa's boyfriend's family in this conversation as being influential over her. In the second call to a different brother, our father states, quote, Good old Alyssa, she can sure make it fucked up. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. She's stupid. On March 15, 2001, $800 is deposited into Alyssa's bank account and the slip is signed by our father. On April 3, 2001, Alyssa turns 17 years old. On April 5, 2001, $600 is withdrawn from Alyssa's bank account and the slip is again signed by our father. And do you guys remember Mike with the nice-ass Mustang, Alyssa's co-worker from Jack in the Box that she called a prick? Well, it seems that they warmed up to each other. Because on April 22, 2001, Mike gave Alyssa a ride home from work. He walked her inside, and they ended up making out on our living room couch. And this is when I find out about the camera in our living room vent. My father brought me into his bedroom and played me a videotape. In the picture, you can clearly see the grates of the air conditioning vent, and through the openings, I saw Alyssa and a boy kissing on our couch. I don't remember what my father said to me about it. I just remember that he wanted me to see it. And I only know it was Mike from the police records. And honestly, I didn't think much of it. Our father was always going on about how Alyssa had special needs and how she had to be monitored for her own good. And I already knew that he had spied on her when she was staying with our brothers for the summer. If I could guess my reaction, I'm sure I was just annoyed that he was rambling at me but our father was very upset about this incident, and he actually goes to Alyssa's boyfriend John and tells him Alyssa is cheating on him. This also sparks the final contract between Alyssa and our father on April 26, 2001. It reads, Mutual agreement between Dad and Alyssa. 1. I will honor the rules of our home in respect for my father and memory of my mother. 2. I will not bring any illegal drugs into our home. 3. I will not allow another person to bring illegal drugs or alcoholic beverages in our home. 4. I will not engage in intercourse or oral sex before 18 years of age. 5. I will not engage in any sexual foreplay amounting to the touching of private parts with a male friend in our home out of respect for my father and memory of our mother's rules. 6. I will make every effort to finish all business and phone calls before 11 p.m. on weeknights, Sunday through Thursday. 7. I will not encourage or keep anything I become aware of that my sister is doing against all of the above dad's rules from him. 8. I will not give out our phone numbers to any male person without discussing it with my father first. 9. I will not leave work with anyone not already approved by my dad. 10. I will not invite any male friend in our home when my dad is not home. 11. 
I will not leave our home without telling my dad where I will be, how to get in touch with me, and approximately when I will be back. 12. I will not walk alone after dark. 13. I will get my driver's license. 14. I will respect all safety rules my father has taught me when driving. 15. I will try harder to understand and make allowances for my father's medical condition. 16. I will do my chores and help my dad with the day-to-day cleaning, cooking, and care of our home. 17. I will not get a tattoo or any more body piercings before 18 years of age. 18. I will maintain the excellent habits I have developed relating to my school studies. 19. I will graduate from high school. 20. I will not have any further personal relationship with the male friend I brought into our home this month. 21. Should I violate these rules in our home after I turn 18, I will accept the punishment of leaving our home. I enter into this agreement with my father of my own free will so there will not be any more misunderstanding about those rules that could cause harm to our family or to me and what's best for all of our futures. Entered into this agreement on April 26, 2001 with my dad, Michael R. Turney. The contract is apparently signed by both Alyssa and Mike Turney. And then, our father calls our Aunt Lynette again. But this time, the police found the tape. The report reads, This tape is initially blank, but soon a conversation between Alyssa Turney and her maternal Aunt Lynette is overheard. Alyssa is asked if she is pregnant, to which she replies, quote, No. Hell no. Alyssa says that her father is flipping out over something that happened. There is later mention of Alyssa having an older male friend in the home as the source of the tension. Alyssa says that her father does not want her to date the 19-year-old male. Alyssa states that she is no longer talking to the boy. Lynette pushes Alyssa, saying that Michael Roy Turney called her about five minutes ago, and that Alyssa should explain what provoked the call. Michael Roy Turney is described as freaking out on the phone by Lynette. Michael Roy Turney told Lynette that he needed her to call Alyssa and figure out what is going on. Lynette says she's wondering if Michael Roy Turney is drinking. Alyssa replies to her and says that her father is not drinking, then adds, quote, It's my dad. What do you expect? Alyssa continues saying that, quote, he's always like that. Lynette says that the call from Michael Roy Turney scared her. Michael Roy Turney can be heard in the background telling Alyssa to apologize to Lynette on his behalf. Lynette tells Alyssa that she can always call and then asks if Alyssa has her phone number. Alyssa remarks that her father has the number. Lynette also offers, quote, Alyssa, if you ever want to come out and visit me, I'm right here. Lynette then asks to speak with Michael Roy Turney again. Michael Roy Turney then speaks about Alyssa's dating situation, saying that he caught Alyssa with a boy on the living room couch. He says, quote, No, Lynette. In this particular case, they were getting ready to do it. Clothes were off. They were getting ready to do it, and I walked in and stopped it. The video mentioned earlier showed no removal of clothing. It is unclear if Michael Roy Turney is exaggerating the scene or if a similar event is being described. Lynette says this is just normal, juvenile behavior. Michael Roy Turney remarks that Alyssa has come home with marijuana and that Stacy had brought her home passed out drunk. Michael Roy Turney says Alyssa talks about going to California and had mentioned running away. He also mentions Alyssa's employment, stating, quote, She's doing so good at this job. It was the greatest thing for her. He then mentions that Alyssa's current boyfriend, John, was belittling her at school. Mike is concerned that Alyssa is proceeding too quickly and may become pregnant or catch a sexually transmitted disease. Lynette remarks that Alyssa was acting out following the death of her mother, and Mike responds that Alyssa went through nine months of counseling following her mother's death. He also remarks that Sarah has adjusted well, and Alyssa has adjusted extremely well. Mike then tells Lynette that Alyssa has caused problems with his relationships with women after the death of his wife. He remarks, quote, Any relationship I would start, Alyssa would just come in with a wrecking ball. I don't want you around here, bitch. Mike then mentions again that Alyssa speaks of running away often. Mike wants Alyssa and Lynette to have a relationship so that if she does run, she runs to Lynette. Mike then speaks of Alyssa's disability to Lynette, mentioning a short-term memory problem. Mike also mentions Alyssa as not being able to remember her mistakes. He continues describing girls like Alyssa as, quote, airheads or easies. Mike adds that as a young man, he, quote, looked for girls like Alyssa. It seems that Mike believes Alyssa will be targeted as an easy sexual conquest by other males. And Mike adds that, quote, Alyssa has an extremely high sex drive. She likes it. She's gonna want to do it. Mike then goes on to mention his experiences with Child Protective Services. Mike tells Lynette that CPS has a policy in Arizona to separate siblings and to send them to different homes and not with relatives. 
And then the detective making this report makes a note about how he's been working with Child Protective Services for years and that this is not their policy. And in fact, they do everything within their power to keep siblings together. And then the detective goes on to note, the motivation for this lie is unclear, but likely meant to discourage Lynette from calling CPS in the future. Mike then speaks about Alyssa, saying that his no sex in the house rule is what got her boyfriend, that she is now saying I love you to every day. That's what got him banned from the house. Mike says there are very few rules for the girls in the home. Mike mentions that he spends 10 to 1 time with Alyssa as compared to Sarah. Mike says Sarah doesn't need much help. But, quote, Alyssa, we do homework every night. We have discussions. Alyssa is always getting herself into a situation. I mean, I'm not talking about the petty ones. You're talking about a kid that was asked by another kid to pick up a mushroom out of a yard and eat it, and she did it. You're talking about a kid who was told to take her panties off and let the boys see everything. Lynette theorizes that Alyssa is likely having father issues. Mike says, quote, I call Steve. I actually talk to Steve. I don't know what Steve told you guys. I talked to him on the phone. Steve Strom was contacted about the allegation that he has been in contact with Michael Roy Turney. Strom denied any contact whatsoever. The tape continues with Mike discussing his upbringing and his first experience with love. The tape ends during this conversation. And around the first week of May 2001, Alyssa and her boyfriend John talk on the phone, and it appears that all is forgiven, because they have the most gushy teenage exchange. It begins with John being irritated that his mom picks up the phone, and Alyssa says, don't be mean. And then John explains that he has to go eat dinner and has to get off the phone. And then they just have this exchange, and it goes like this. Okay, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And Alyssa chimes in and says, would your parents let you go to California with me? And John says, yeah, no, I mean, I don't know, probably, they might. I just have to uh, figure out how to get time off work. And then Alyssa says, hey, for prom, let's go to the Cheesecake Factory to eat. And then they discuss making reservations, and John again says he has to get off the phone. And Alyssa says, I love you. And John says, I love you. Call you in 10 minutes. And then again, back and forth. I love you. Bye-bye. I love you. I love you. Bye. I love you. I love you. I love you. Bye. I love you. Hang up. Bye. Bye. And a few days later, there was another call recorded between Alyssa and John. They were laughing, talking about their six-month anniversary, and how prom was only one week away. And around May 10th, 2001, Lynette says she talked to our father again. She said that our father was fed up with Alyssa, that she was smoking pot and staying out past curfew. Our father then puts Alyssa on the phone with Lynette, who told her to follow the rules. But they did not discuss Alyssa coming to live with her. And when our father got back on the phone with Lynette, he told her that Alyssa's boyfriend John was beating her. And that John's dad pulled a gun on Alyssa. And that while they were on the phone right that second, our father saw John outside of our home looking through one of the windows. On May 14th, 2001, our father purchased two items at Walmart, labeled on the receipt as tote box and chemical. May 15th is the last day Alyssa went to work. And on the same day, Alyssa deposits $10.81 of her paycheck into her bank account and keeps $219 in cash. The bank slip was signed by Alyssa, but in the transaction notes it says, quote, parent with child. And on May 17th, 2001, Alyssa would go to school and I would never see her again. Next time on Voices for Justice. People don't just disappear like that out of nowhere, never to be heard from or seen again. Who are being sexually abused and monitored every second. Now all this surveillance is suddenly missing. Yeah, there's too many, too many things that, you know, scream that he's involved with this. And I was like, her dad killed her. I know it. Yeah. I know it in the bottom of my heart. And they're just like, oh, you're a drama queen. I'm like, I don't know. There's so many, so many feelings about it because I just know that she would have contacted someone. That was story one. Story two was. So, I don't, I don't know if I've even told anyone this, but like when she, when she quote unquote ran away. Voices for Justice is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Sarah Turney. 
If you want to learn more about Alyssa's story and how you can help with the case, visit justiceforalyssa.com. And if you love the show, it would really help if you gave me a rating and review in your podcast player. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you next time.